0: good morning community church welcome back hey what i'm about to talk about this morning is really not new information to you it's covered in part in the freedom course it's covered in alpha it's covered in pursuit and i know you've heard it from the pulpit more than one time it's spiritual warfare that's the war that we are in we're not warring against ourselves against one another not against flesh and blood, but instead we're warring against the evil one, against Satan, who is very deceptive in his ways. He will use your flesh, he'll use the world, and he'll use his own means to carry out his purpose. Corey Tinboom once said that the first step on the way to victory is to know the enemy. Satan is our enemy. He's going to point you toward the wrong path. He wants you to take a path that's opposite to that which God desires for you. We've learned over these past few weeks about the dangers of being simple, about having folly in our lives, about being slothful. Today we're going to talk about the mocker, a little bit different personality than you may be accustomed to. And in contrast to that, we're going to talk about the Christian. He's he's walking his pathway and how that pathway can lead to discernment. So those are our two issues for today, mockery and discernment. Now, the mocker is classified three times in Proverbs. Listen to these statements about him. In Proverbs 13.1, the mocker does not listen to rebuke. In Proverbs 15:12, the mocker resents correction, and in 21:24, the mocker is called proud and arrogant. All of these are summed up in the first chapter of Proverbs in verse 22. How long will you who are simple of simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? A virtuous person demonstrates discernment. The scriptures also say in Proverbs 14, The mocker seeks wisdom, but finds none. But knowledge comes easily to the discerning. The warfare, Satan. Satan is an artist of disguise. Where God presents good, he presents a counterfeit. Where he presents A Christ he presents an antichrist everything is the opposite and so the way to wisdom the way to be a wise person the way to reward is faced off in the opposite of the way of a fool and that's why we're looking at these today so we're at that level of mocker and there's no greater emphasis than this term mocker I think it's the culmination of all of these that have come together I discovered something in studying for this message. I had not seen it at this level before. Listen to what Jesus says when he's telling his disciples what's about to happen to him. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 19, he says this, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Have you ever heard of those before? Well, I've certainly heard of the flogging that took place when he was arrested, when he was taken to those mock trials. I've heard of the crucifixion, and I've seen it mentioned in the scriptures. But I never placed this concept of mockery as equal to those other two, but Christ does. He actually says that mocking him, mocking God, is equal to scourging him and crucifying him. You know, that's a huge statement. God does not want to be mocked. And yet he is mocked by those who refuse to seek him, to know who he is. These wicked people mocked the king of kings. Is there any spirit of mockery in your life where you're not really seeking what God wants? Listen carefully. Mocking is not exclusive to the person who's on the fool's pathway. You and I do it. From time to time, as we're walking this path toward reward, sometimes the shadow of the dark side comes over to us and we fall prey to its temptations, and we find ourselves acting as though we belonged over here. You know. You've done that in your life. You've mocked other people. You've mocked situations. It's not a matter of making one decision not to mock. It's learning how to walk on a day-to-day basis and carefully not letting those shadows pull you in. Carefully making choices. That's what discernment is all about. It's a constant battle with the devil. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to have these battles, subtle and obvious, going on throughout your life when you acknowledge that that's their origin, then you have an ability to fight them, but you're not going to acknowledge it without that discernment. The philosopher Aristotle divided virtues into two categories. He said there is the virtue of intellect and there's the virtue of character. Now intellect, he said, leads to practical wisdom and character leads to moral goodness. So one is leading toward knowledge the other toward the practice of that knowledge but he's saying that they are developed together you can't separate them so as you know something and you learn to discern what you know and apply it then you're going to grow it's either the way of virtue or the way of vice we choose virtue over vice virtue is driven by the Spirit of God vice is driven by the spirit of the evil one Virtue is spirit, vice is flesh. So there are some choices to be made. The constant work of God in your life must bring you to a point where you have a conscience. See, the mocker has no conscience. He has no knowledge of God. He desires not to know God. And sometimes we fall into that category where we don't really want to know what God thinks because we believe the way we're thinking is the right way to go. I've done that. I'm sure you have too. But when we're following God's path, He's not going to allow us through the discerning work of His Spirit to fall totally into that camp. He's going to keep pulling us back to where we need to be going. Eventually, the mocker will reap his circumstances. You know, there are lots of stories out there about people who were following the proper pathway, who fell into the other pathway, and our prayer is that those who have followed the truth and have fallen away will come back. I'm not going to name this person, but there is a very famous actor who not long ago in an interview with a magazine said, yes, I was raised in a Christian home, a Baptist home to be exclusively proper in what I'm saying. I went to concerts. I went to retreats. I went to events. I loved them. But I also went to rock concerts and other events, and I was told that I couldn't do that if I was a Christian. So I gave up Christianity. He said at that point, I am an atheist. Christianity is just a place for crashing at a pad. That's mocking God. Now, our hope is that person will come back to Christ in time, if, in fact, he ever was really a follower of Christ. There are consequences that we follow. What's the path of warfare that you're on? You have to make a choice in this. If you follow in Jesus as you're led by His Spirit, then you're on the right pathway. But your personal pleasure is a lie that comes from satan now i can be pleasing i can have fun i can enjoy the things i'm doing in christ as a follower of christ i can enjoy some of the things that the world has to offer that are moral and absolutely pure in him there's no doubt about that but it's not my pleasure that should be driving me the fool is seeking personal pleasure the person who's following christ is seeking to glorify him and to enjoy him forever Remember, one way is virtuous, one way is vice. But now I want to turn something on the mocker that may help you. I want to take the concept of sin, the reality of sin, the word sin, and I want to bring it to life. I want to call it a thing. Okay, I'm going to personalize it. And I'm going to say, sin is the greatest mocker that you'll ever have. Because sin mocks your humanity. Sin is lying to you and telling you it's okay. And there are three things that sin can do to you. The first is this. Sin mocks with broken promises. Sin brings you in and says, it's okay. Why don't you come here and do this? Now here's the problem. You're thinking that I can get something good out of something that's bad. It's okay for me as long as it's not going to hurt anyone else. And then that moment of good may come to you, but immediately it's gone and you're feeling guilt. And now you're realizing that if I want more of that, I have to go back for more. And the cycle begins. The price you pay is great. You know, a term that's been floating through our nation for months is quid pro quo. Well, let me tell you something. There is no quid pro quo with sin. Sin gives you nothing in return but guilt. And sin is the pathway of the mocker. At best, you had a moment, but that moment led to another moment, which leads to tolerance. And when you go all the way to tolerance, you know where you are? You're now a slave to sin. That's the second thing that sin offers you as it mocks you. Sin's initial approach to the mocker is don't worry about it. When I was a freshman in college, I went to a full military university, and I was sitting across from my roommate because we had to be at our desk from 7 p.m. until 9 p.m. every night, five nights a week, to study. His name was Joe Moranville. Still remember him. Joe pulled out a pack of Pell Mills, and he said, here, have a cigarette. And I said, no, Joe, I'm an athlete. I don't smoke. I don't drink. He said, listen, there's nothing wrong with smoking. It's okay. He said, if you smoke, it's going to relax you more, and it'll, it'll keep the weight down, too. It's something you really should do, and if you don't do it, I'm going to beat you up anyway. And so I began smoking, because he promised me that it wouldn't hurt, that there was nothing that's going to be wrong. He said, it's not a big deal. It won't hurt you. Then sin laughed at me and said, I got you now. Do you identify with that? That's exactly what happens. We choose to follow these temptations in our simple ways, in our slothful ways. We come deluded to thinking that we are pleasing ourselves. What are we really doing? We're pleasing a taskmaster who's behind the whole thing. We're pleasing Satan, not God. God's desire is for us to be following him. But sin not only broke all of its promises to you, sin not only made you its slave, but now sin has given you a life of a bad habit, at least one. So sin has consequences when those habits happen. And that's the third thing we need to understand, the habitual nature of sin. There was a man who said this. He said, what we are now is because of what we were long ago. And then he takes it beyond that. He says, and what we're going to be in another day when we die is what we are now, but more intensely, more seriously. And so I think, okay, let me apply that for a minute to these two pathways. What I once was was an unbeliever, but Christ came, died for me, applied that salvation to my heart. I responded to that. And now I'm on a pathway to become more like him. And when I go home to be with him, I'm going to continue to become more like him. Intensely so, because I'll have no sin around me. Nothing will burden me anymore. But look at the opposite side. This person who is not a follower of Christ, who is a fool, who is a mocker, is going to go beyond this life also, but that personality will continue more intensely. So they will be more intensely lost than they are now forever. If anything should sway us toward the right path, it's that thought that the consequence of our sin not only harms us, it harms others. And it's something that we need to deal with. How do we deal with it? Jesus is the only way. He's the only one who can free me from any bondage I have to sin. He can free me from the consequences of the bondage to sin. He breaks the power of my past evil. He gives me new life. He forgives me. My guilt is removed and He places upon me His character and gives me His Holy Spirit. Now here's where it comes from. Discernment is not about what I think, though from day to day I'm having to make choices and decisions. But biblical discernment is when I call upon the Spirit of God who lives within me. And I say, okay, Holy Spirit... I need to do this or I want to do that or should I do this and I listen to what the Spirit is saying that's discernment then I can apply what he's saying so it's time for us to leave the wrong path of mockery and engage in discernment let me define discernment for you it's the ability to recognize and follow the most suitable or sensible course of action based on the knowledge wisdom and understanding from god those last statements that i made there are the pathway we're walking on it's knowledge and wisdom and understanding they're leading us to discernment which leads us to prudence and and gets us all the way in to that person of christ that we're to become like The person with the gift of discernment, the one who really knows how to call on the Spirit, is an unusual person, and yet it's available to all of us. But so few of us take advantage of it. I know a person with that gift of discernment. They can read the ring of reality. They can smell a rat in the audience. As my wife, Linda, (laughs) once we walked into a room that was filled with probably 100 people, We knew only a handful of those people, and as we walked in, she stopped, she looked in the direction, and she saw a man. And she said to me, don't trust that man. I didn't know who he was, and neither did she, but that's what she said. I found out after working with him for over five years that she was absolutely right. How? Because the Spirit of God spoke into her discernment that she passed on to me. That's the kind of discernment that God promises to us, and that discernment is coming to you more than anyone else when you ask for it. The writer Sinclair Ferguson said, true discernment means not only distinguishing between what's right and wrong, it means distinguishing the primary from the secondary, the essential from the indifferent, the permanent from the transient. And yes, it means distinguishing between the good and the better, even between the better and the best. C.H. Spurgeon said, discernment is not a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it's telling the difference, listen to this, between right and almost right. That's biblical discernment. If ever a gift was needed in the church today, For you and for me it's the gift of discernment so that we could know god's plan to move ahead in life yield to the leading of the holy spirit grab this gift because when you ask for it you know what he's going to give it the spirit of god will give you the ability to discern the difference between something you shouldn't do and something you should do jesus said when he comes the comforter He will lead you into all truth. Well, that's enough for me. That means if I want to know the truth about a situation, I'll pray and say, Lord, would you show me the truth? And the Spirit of God will show me in a variety of ways, primarily through the Scriptures. Sometimes as I am praying, I will hear in my own heart and mind thoughts that I think come from Him. And other times it's people like you who are coming to me that God has spoken to them. Again, Ferguson mentions four different ways that discernment will help you. And I want you to write these down. This is the first one. Discernment guards you from being deceived. It helps you recognize what's imitation, what's fake. Because remember, that's the whole purpose of the evil one, to deceive you. But God wants you to know the truth. And discernment will help you identify that truth. Discernment can be an instrument of healing. It can help you recognize something that's physically wrong in yourself or in someone else, even beyond what the doctors can do. I remember one time our daughter was sick, and we had called on the phone to the pediatrician, and he had given us some information based on the info we gave him. And he said, this is what's wrong. Go get the prescription filled. I think she'll be fine. We did that. And a few hours later, she was struggling even more to breathe. And a woman was coming over to visit my wife, and she walked in the door. We had never met her before. She looked at my wife, and she said, you have a daughter who is sick. You need to get her to the hospital right now. That's discernment. And so we went immediately, and the child was fine after she was serviced for pneumonia. Discernment can help you in that way. Discernment can also set you free from bondage. How? When you know that there's something that's controlling your life, something that's trapped you, something that you may be a slave to, you can ask God for deliverance to discern when that is trying to come against you so that you step away from it, that you will resist that which is evil. Flee from it, is what the scripture says. And fourthly, Discernment leads to a greater spiritual development. You need to move through this sequence of personality traits to get to that ultimate one of being that prudent, that wise, that rewarded person who's following Christ. You can't skip over different steps. So it's necessary for you to have his discernment. And with that discernment, you're going to become more and more like Christ. Spiritual discernment will come to you as you pray for it to come and increases your life. Pray as though your life depends on it, because it does. Oswald Chambers said, God does not exist to answer our prayers. If I stopped right there, I'd say, oh no, I can't read him anymore. But that's not how he concluded this statement. He said, God does not exist to answer our prayers, but by our prayers... We come to discern the mind of God. Wow. So in my prayers, I'm asking for God's discernment so I can know His mind on this matter. I have a friend who wrote a musical, and he wrote it in about a day and a half in a room all by himself, and it went on to win Dove Awards. And I asked him one day, How did you do this? He said, I simply downloaded what God was giving me. See, that's discernment. That's understanding what God wants from you. Remember, the one who won the war that we are battling through the individual battles has died, has risen, and is returning again. But in the meantime, he sent you and me the answer to living this life. And that's to abide in Him. Well, He abides in me through His Spirit. He wants me to abide in Him. He's right here. And so I'm asking Him for discernment. Show me, Lord, through Your Spirit. Hebrews 5.14 is a statement about that same discernment. Here's what it says. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Three things are stated there that jump out at me. Underline these. Solid food. He said solid food is for the mature. What is solid food? Solid food is the scripture. It's the word of God that we discern through the Holy Spirit as we study it. He said constant use. Well, that means daily I'm in the word. Daily I'm in prayer. Daily I'm acting out ethical behavior. And he said, and they have trained themselves. Well, training, that's to recognize good from evil and chase the good. And then also, it's to train others. Because once you gain this ability to discern, you have a responsibility to help others that are walking up that path behind you to help them get to that level of discernment. The battle is far from over. Every facet of your life, is ready for victory. And the victory comes in Christ because he laid the foundation. He's the one that said, knowledge is where you begin. A knowledge of God, a fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And then wisdom comes. And then after wisdom, you you get that understanding of who God is. And then you begin to discern how he wants you to live it out. And then you truly become a prudent person, a virtuous person. There's a woman you've probably never heard of. Her name is Sarah Irving Stonebreaker. She's a PhD in history. She's from Australia. But when she came to the United States, she came as an atheist, and she went to Florida State University. She became a Christian, but let me just read to you a little bit about what she says about her experience in becoming a Christian. Because you see, in the past, what she had believed was that Christianity was just a non-thinking type of religion. Here's what she says. Christianity, it turned out, looked nothing like the caricature I once held. I found the story of Jacob wrestling with God especially compelling. God wants anything but the unthinking faith I once assumed characterized Christianity. God wants us to wrestle with him and to struggle through doubt and faith and sorrow and hope. Moreover, God wants broken people, not self-righteous ones. And salvation is not about us earning our way to someplace in the clouds through good works. On the contrary, there's nothing we can do to reconcile ourselves to God. But to live as a Christian is a call to be part of this new radical creation. I'm not passively awaiting a place in the clouds. I'm redeemed by Christ, so now I have work to do. Let me tell you, that's the ultimate discernment of the Christian life. And that came from one who had been an atheist. We are followers of Christ. We need that same kind of of drive and commitment on that path of discernment because that's what God is calling us to. One final thought. I really believe discernment is summed up And what Paul says to the Philippian church. So let this be our final definition and a call to action in discernment. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Many of you know this verse. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Those are the things that we are to be discerning in this life. So walk the path of the discerning Christian. Next stop, prudence. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask for more of the ministry of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Help our minds to be focused on what you want for us, not what we want. Give us discernment in every decision we make. And Lord, help us to turn around to those who are following us and be able to say, as Paul did, whatever you've learned or received or heard of me or seen in me, put it into practice. Lord, that's what we need as we advance your kingdom to the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.